Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel, the good news, according to St. Luke chapter 2. Let's share in God's good word together. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all of the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Did you have a decent Christmas? How are you doing this day after Christmas? Are you still unwrapping presents? Do you still have a few more places to go? What is your Christmas tradition? Around our house, we have a few Christmas traditions. Uh, When I was growing up, um, we were more formal in those days, and we would uh, go to church. Sometimes it would be uh, come-and-go communion, and we'd go visit Dad as he served people communion for hours at a time, Um, Or and we would dress up. And so as a young person, uh, my mom would put me in a suit and uh, take photos of us in front of the Christmas tree. And so... uh, Certainly the the fashion of the bow tie and the three buttons on the old coat. So I was not a big fan of that tradition. And so now, uh, as my boys are grown, uh, we take photos. Well, first of all, I should say, now that I'm an adult, I'm not in the photo. I take the photos. That's where I like to be. And so um, here is last year. Here's Chantel and the boys, John, Mark, and Noah. And so we just took the bows right off the presents and tied them up. And here we are. Uh, little ninja Christmas people and a, and a package uh, tied up with the bow there. And so that's, that's sort of our tradition. We'd like to take photos, uh, not, not so formal anymore, um, but just having fun, just being together. And since uh, our family works un- until almost 11 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve, uh, man, it is just wonderful. It's my tradition that I uh, run out and get um, stocking stuff for Chantel. And then we come in and then we actually we sleep in pretty much on Christmas Day because um, we're just whooped. And then um, we, we see family either later on that evening uh, or afternoon or even the next day. That's sort of our tradition. What traditions do you have? And then, when do you undecorate? That is a big question for families. So I want you to just circle one of these or think about it um, in your home here. When is the right time to undecorate? Some of you uh, who are really on top of things, you think it's today. Yep, like it's already, uh, you get the trash out, you're getting the tree down, you're like, it's done. You've done it, and you are ready to go. Um, some of you, though, you're like, no, you know, we're going we're gonna to have the week, and when we're all off on January 1st for New Year's, that's kind of the day that you do that. You know, you eat your uh, black-eyed peas and, and your soups, and you just take stuff down, and you kind of get back to normal. But other people are like, no, 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 we're still in the 12 days of Christmas, so we're going we're gonna to take it down on Epiphany on January 6th. 
And then some, I know people that, um, you know, they just love Christmas, and so they don't ever take it down. They just have Christmas trees up all year long, um, and sometimes they even leave uh, the lights on the house. Uh, not recommended in Edmond, but some people do it. I wonder what your Christmas tradition is. And, and you can share that with us in the chat. You can just let us know this is, this is it or this is the appropriate time to take down your decorations. Well, wherever you find yourself, just know this. The first Christmas, Joseph traveled to take a census so that the Roman Empire could tax him. Well, that doesn't sound like a very fun Christmas, does it? Not, well, not at all. So maybe you're traveling this Christmas. Joseph's traveling at Christmas. But his travel was simply because the government told him he had to. The Roman Empire said, you, we need to know how many people live in this area so that we can get the money that we need from you. That's the way it worked. And friends, travel was expensive, it was dangerous, and it was disruptive. Now, now the actual uh, place from where Joseph lived to his birthplace in Bethlehem, um, it's only about 70 miles, but because they wanted to um, skip this area of Samaria, you might remember uh, from the New Testament that uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And so Nazareth's up here, up by the Sea of Galilee, and, and the Holy Family, they're going to come here, and they're actually going to cross over the Jordan River, and they're going to come all the way down just north of the Dead Sea. They're going to come back in by Jericho, on down to Jerusalem, and then on down to Bethlehem. Now, Jerusalem and Bethlehem are only about five and a half miles apart, but this journey taken this way, well, friends, that might be 10, 11, 15 days, uh, particularly going slow with Mary, uh, with her pregnancy where it was. And it, it wasn't just Joseph. Literally thousands of people were ready to get back home and get back to normal. Maybe that's how you feel this morning. He's like, can I just have some normalcy? I just need to get back in my routine. Well, for all those people who had to travel all over the Roman Empire, which was the known world at that time, they were just ready to get back home. Maybe you feel like you're ready to get back home. And, and particularly these days, over the last couple of years, we all want to know this question. When will things get back to normal? That was Joseph's question. That was all of Israel's question. And quite frankly, that is our question today. But whether it's normalcy that we're hoping for, or a certain gift that we're hoping for, or a certain relationship that we're hoping for, C.S. Lewis gives us an important reminder this day after Christmas. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And friends, there, there is no new normal to get back to that will make you happy. Only God can fulfill that longing desire of our heart. So I want to look at real quickly what that first Christmas looked like. What happened at Christmas? In John chapter 1, it says this, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory is of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. God came to earth. I love the way Eugene Peterson put it. He says this, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's exactly what God did in Jesus. And so we celebrate that. Not just one day, but all the days of our lives. Christmas and Easter, those are the bookends of our faith. You see, the world, it would never go back to normal because God had come to earth in Jesus, in the flesh. He had moved into the neighborhood. No, we're not going back to normal. We're going now living into a world with a new king, a king whose reign will never end. A king, not a religious figure merely, not just a teacher, not just a prophet, but a king. A king. And, and this very king 
as a baby, snuck into the world largely unnoticed. And I don't know if you've thought about this uh, before, but, but I have. It's so interesting, isn't it, that this is all a part of God's plan. That even um, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, he says, don't tell anybody. Because, friends, if you're a king and you have a kingdom, it's in competition with every other king and every other kingdom. It was a dangerous thing to be born a king in that day and oftentimes even in this day. St. Paul wrote to the early church in Philippi about this new baby king that we know as Jesus. He wrote this. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend. Not just some, not just some in one country or some region, but every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's a different kind of king. That is our king, Jesus. And this plan, God's plan, it kept Jesus safe and under the world's radar for nearly 30 years. Jesus was able to grow up and to live in Nazareth and to the work of his father, Joseph, and simply stay under the radar and grow and grow and learn and become a rabbi. And even then, he was trying to stay under the radar. But his mom, Mary, she knew he was not just any ordinary king. When the angel Gabriel came to her, he had quite a task. Imagine this, that the angel Gabriel... His mission, if he, were, if he would take it, and he did, is to come from heaven to go to a young girl, maybe as young as 14, and talk to her and help her get excited about giving birth to the Messiah, God's king. Because certainly we know about God that God would never coerce um, a young woman into giving birth if that's not something she wanted to do. And so Gabriel had to come and talk to her very carefully and, and was awaiting her response, her, her yes to this divine mission. And of course, she says yes. It's recounted this way in the Gospel of Luke. The angel Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, this was super important. Now, Mary would have known in ways that we do not. Um, there's a, a book in the Apocrypha known as Tobit. And in that, it tells about uh, a, a folklore that all the young Jewish girls would know. And that is that a a very mean and troublesome angel would often come uh, when you were betrothed. And betrothal was simply, uh, it was year long. Uh, it was legally binding. And so if something were to happen to uh, the man and, and the young woman never consummated the marriage, she would still be known as a widow. It was a very serious thing to be betrothed. And so the, the legend was that every time a girl got betrothed, that this mean angel would come and, and kill the groom. That was a great fear of young women. And so when an angel actually shows up to Mary, she had reason to be afraid. She knew that story. But Gabriel says, don't be afraid, for you found favor, not a curse with God, but favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great. He will be great. Not just another baby, not just another king. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. David, the second king of Israel. The great king that brought a unified kingdom from roughly 922 B.C. all the way for another 200 years to 722. 
And this name, Jesus, uh, it comes from um, the word Yeshua, which means Joshua, which is a leader, a warrior, a savior. And certainly if you go and read the book of Joshua in the Bible, uh, this is a very, very strong figure and one that other kings would not be happy to know about because Joshua would come in and take over other areas. And so Joshua was somebody you did not want to mess with. You did not want to cross Joshua. And you certainly didn't want a baby that was going to grow up to be a Joshua to live in your area. Because again, Bethlehem's only five and a half miles from Jerusalem where King Herod was the current ruler and had been um, for nearly 20 years. So here's the thing about kings. If the baby will be king of the Jews, then King Herod will not. There's a clash of those kingdoms. The scripture says this, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where's the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. So King Herod, he gathers all the smart people, all the people that knew about all the things. And he says, I've heard there's a new king What do you know? Where is he? What can I do? And he's not just some king. King Herod knew that he was the Messiah, God's king. Notice that King Herod knew exactly what was at stake. It was the fulfillment of prophecy in 2 Samuel. King Herod knew that the birth of God's king, the Messiah, signaled regime change. It signaled a problem for his power, and he had wanted to have nothing to do with it. You see, Messiah was the title for God's final king. So Messiah, we use, oftentimes you'll think of Jesus Christ. That's not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title. Messiah and Christ are the same word. Uh, Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek. And so uh, that second Samuel prophecy goes like this. When your days are fulfilled, meaning the house of David, and you lie down with your ancestors when you die, God says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Not just some king, the king. You see, Christ is this Greek title for God's final king. Something amazing had happened to the world and it threatened every other kingdom and still does, even your kingdom and my kingdom today. Yes, Jesus was well more than a king. Well, what is a king? We don't really have kings in America. We have have elected officials, but we don't have kings. So what does a king do? What is a king? Well, a king is a ruler, a commander, a lawgiver, and a judge until they die. But of course, this Messiah will never die. This Messiah is Jesus, the giver of eternal life. And Gabriel pronounces this. In Luke 1, he says, Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end, no end to King Jesus and his kingdom. You see, Jesus is the king, not just a king. Jesus is the king who reigns forever and ever. Jesus is God's king. He's not made from another king. He's not uh, anointed by a prophet or another king or another government. He is God's king, the long-awaited one who rules over an upside-down kingdom that lasts forever. In the book of Acts, these Acts 2 people were known to turn the world upside down, or as other theologians would put it, right side up. 
Andy Stanley puts it like this uh, in his sermon. He says, a king that would lay down his life for his subjects instead of requiring his subjects to lay down their lives for him. An upside down kingdom. A different kind of king. A king for you and for me. This time of year, there's a song that our worship team sings, and it it moves me every time. And I always wonder, you know, where it's going to be placed in the service because I'm not sure I'll be able to speak after I hear these words. Uh, Maybe you know it as well. It's known as How Many Kings. And, And it says, How many kings step down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. How many kings? Only one, King Jesus, God's king, not like all the other kings. And this different kind of king has a different kind of kingdom. You see, Jesus is the king who allows us to decide. It's, God never moves Jesus in force. He doesn't ever coerce you. He doesn't ever make you do things that you don't want to do. Jesus is the good and right and just king that allows you to decide whether you will follow him or not, whether you will be a part of his kingdom or not. So the most important question you can ever answer in your life is this. Is Jesus my king? It's the most important question, and it is the question that we have to answer every day. Tomorrow, when you wake up, you will answer the question, is Jesus my king? The next day after that, you will answer the question, is Jesus my king? And the day after that, and after that, and after that. C.S. Lewis um, wrote it this way. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. And kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Our problem is that we forget that Jesus is the king of the world, the king of the universe, the king of all time. He's not simply a person that gives us some, some good moral you know, ditches to, to stay within, although he does. It's much more than that. His kingdom will have no end. Jesus' kingdom includes every nation, every language, every generation. And it includes you, if you'll say yes to him. It is a kingdom without borders. And it's characterized by a culture of love and of serving others first. It is an others first kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom without borders, every nation, every tribe, every time, characterized by a culture of loving and serving others first. Which means, of course, we have to set our kingdom aside. Well, why does this matter? Why, Why is this so important the day after Christmas? Because when a king is born, people must choose. So when I choose not to obey Jesus as king, I am deciding not to participate in what he's doing in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So when we opt out, we miss out. Jesus isn't trying to punish you. It's just you can never know the kingdom if you don't ever surrender to the king. 
Because it's his kingdom. When we surrender our will to Jesus and we obey, heaven comes to earth. But it takes our surrender. Heaven comes to earth. It's what we pray each and every week in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our action step for this day, for this day after Christmas is this. With all that I am, I ask you, accept the king's invitation because he's a good and just and right king and the only one. Accept the king's invitation not only to believe, not just to believe that he's a king so one day you get to go to heaven. No, no, no. Accept the invitation today not only to believe and enter, but to follow, to follow. When you look at the Bible and you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see Jesus doing is he doesn't invite you so much as to something later. He says, follow me. That's what he says to the first disciples, and he says to you and to me, follow me. It's about participating with him today. In the Bible, when Jesus talks to people, the emphasis is not about entering heaven someday. It's about participating with him today, this day that the Lord has made. And we have to choose it over and over and over again. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.